Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFC News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Polly and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Francis Bignall and I'm a junior journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, my name is Tyler Paith and I'm a junior journalist here at the Fintech Times. Hello, everyone. Hello, Francis, Tyler. How are you guys doing this fine, fine week? Well, it's been a very busy week this week, Polly. We've been at the Money Life Summit in London and just trying to catch up with all the other fintech news uh, that's been on my desk uh, this week. So, yeah, it's been, it's been very, very busy this week. Yes, you've been a very busy bee, Tyler, um, from all your event going. Francis, how are you? I mean, I've been a busy, a busy bee, but probably not in the same way as Tyler this week. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not too bad. Unfortunately, my mic isn't working today. So apologies if my sound audio, uh, the audio quality, I should say, isn't as good as it usually is. But I'm looking forward to the topics we're going to be discussing on today's podcast. As always, we have a whole, whole agenda of fintech wonderfulness to talk about today. Tyler, what are you going to be discussing later on in the show? Well, today we're going to be looking at this new sort of payment model for crypto mining. So it's <clears throat> they've they've sort of put it forward as like buy now, pay later, but for crypto mining. So that's going to be really interesting. And uh, yeah, we're going to take a look at how that works and what it means. What about you, Francis? This week, I'm going to be discussing minting costs of NFTs and how they've de- uh, evolved over the past year and what they really mean for the NFT market. Cool. I really should have done something like blockchain based because mine is just completely different to your guys. Today, I'm going to be talking about the UK fintech industry and its valuation (laughs) of over one trillion. Um, Maybe I'll go first then to get it out of the way just so that we can have a a lovely little 20 minutes of blockchain later on. Uh, So basically, the story I wanted to talk about today was how UK fintech has hit one trillion dollars worth of valuation and now has 44 unicorns. So the data provider Dealroom has found that the UK's digital economy is now worth more than double of Germany and almost five times larger than France and Sweden. The industry is worth $1 trillion uh, and the country's tech sector is booming in value, becoming the third in the world to reach this landmark valuation. So just to sort of give you a little bit of background around this, this kind of huge rapid rise in the value of UK tech sort of follows a sustained investment of digital tech in over the past few years. So this sector has just seen a lot of money being pumped into it. The COVID-19 pandemic in particular has triggered a huge wave of tech adoption. You know, things like digital health apps, education platforms, video conferencing, e-commerce, digital payments, the list goes on and on and on. So because obviously we've seen a huge uptake of these digital products and digital services to keep us connected, There has also been a huge uptake uh, in investment in these services, propelling company valuations higher and higher and higher and getting the UK tech ecosystem into really just a new league. So I wanted to read a quote for you uh, from the digital minister, Chris Phillip, and he said, Our tech industry has gone from strength to strength, overtaking the rest of Europe and entering the history books as the third country ever to reach this milestone. We're working hard to make the UK the best place in the world to found, grow or float tech businesses, whether they're early stage startups or global innovators, ensuring that they have the best talent, investment and regulation to thrive. 
Um, and again, sorry, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but in 2018, the UK tech ecosystem was valued at $446 billion. Um, and then that was growing to 2020, where it doubled in value to $942 billion with, you know, like we said, the investments into software and digital companies, etc. So the UK also has 13 decacorns. So this is a word I literally learned today, which is basically the next one up from a fintech unicorn. So the fintech unicorn or, or a unicorn just in general, I should say, is a company worth $1 billion or more. A decacorn is when a company is valued at over $10 billion. Uh, so some of the UK's fintech decacorns include Worldpay, Checkout.com, Revolut, Wise, Rapid, Admiral Group and eToro, to name just a few. Well, most of them, actually, because there's only 13. Um, anyway, so the kind of the reason I want to talk about this on the podcast today is because it's kind of something very different that we've done in the past. It's a very different topic than with what we discussed. Um, and there's a lot of room here to have some interesting conversation about the UK and just the fintech scene in general, because, you know, like this uh, report was saying, you know, it is a really varied and a really big sector in the UK, despite us being, you know, such a super tiny little island, our tech sector is pretty huge, you know, and it's not just necessarily all in London. Obviously, we've got the London as a big fintech hub with 847 private high growth UK fintech space there. I did my research. Um, but we've also got like the West Midlands, which is a huge region currently. And Wales as well is a really big uh, place for fintech, particularly looking at insurance and intratech. Um, so I wanted to bring you guys in on the conversation. Francis, what are your thoughts on this whole shebang? I mean, it, one of the more interesting stats that I found in this article was that the UK economy and sort of the UK fintech sector is set to create over 700,000 jobs over the next three years. And I think the pandemic has really been sort of a time where people have really started to appreciate their jobs more. And sort of just job security in and of itself has been sort of made even more paramount and important than ever. I feel like prior to the pandemic, people, the sort of unemployment issue that was going about was quite big. But then following the pandemic, everyone sort of came to value even their, the jobs they didn't enjoy anymore. They said, well, at least I'll have one. So I think the booming sector to be able to offer this many more jobs and improve the economy this much is only ever going to be a good thing. Um, I also found it really interesting that the UK is as developed with as many decacorns as we have. I mean, it says that there are more companies valued at 5 to 10 billion in the UK than in Germany, France and Sweden combined, with Germany having five and France three. I find it, as you said, it's very interesting that a small little island can have so many decacorns in the varied parts of the industry as well. I mean, there's fintech, big data semiconductors, e-commerce, it's varied. It's not sort of a one thing that's been extremely successful. There are a few different variations. And I thought that was, as I said, really interesting. And it's it's nice to see the sort of the rise since 2018 when it was worth 446 billion to now being worth over a trillion. It's, it's a nice progression and it sort of creates a good idea of what's to come in the future for UK fintech. Yeah, absolutely. Everything you've said, Francis, is just right on the on the money there. I think I wonder, it's sort of like an errant thought, you'll say it like you you agree with me, the fact that it's not necessarily surprising that the UK sector is is so big, but it just it is something to sort of note. I wonder if um, you know, the the push to remote working and getting talent from 
you know, all over the globe, I guess. I wonder if that has had uh, any difference into sort of making the UK sector as good as it is, because now you can pick talent from all over the UK, not just like London, or even, you know, you can go into Europe or, or the rest of the world. I just, I'd be interested to know if anyone's done a, a study on that one. Yeah, I think like, as you said it, there's def- I think there's definitely merit to that, because if you look at the companies listed, sort of eToro, Deliveroo, Ocado, RapidWise, all of these companies you'll definitely see in the US. And I think they are sort of global conglomerates almost. They are these enormous companies. And with that comes this idea of global domination almost. And yeah, they are based in the UK or started off in the UK, but that doesn't mean that they're limited to the UK. And I think this idea of, like you said, hiring from abroad this work from home attitude and sort of development has definitely been able to propel fintechs in this way yeah absolutely um tyler what did you think about this one well it's super interesting that we should be discussing this article today because when i was carrying over my interviews at money live and also at uh, pay 360 the week before uh, one of the questions i i put forward to the people that i was talking to was how the UK can continue to position itself as an industry leader, right? And a lot of people, I mean, to regurgitate other people's words for the sake, they they said that we had a really healthy sort of regulatory environment. But on top of this, we also had a very singular attitude that was very distinct to the other markets from around the world that, that really cultivated good talent and was, had a really collaborative process in terms of developing ideas and developing new products. And I think that's especially true. I mean, how many times do we see a day, you know, such and such as collaborating with this person or this new product is going to be released by these two companies? And more often than not, they are UK based. And I think that it's, it's more about the behavior of the people in the industry than anything else. Um, I, I think that the UK is a very, has, painted itself to be a very attractive market for these types of fintechs and I, I and I think on a consumer level I think the UK has has very good adoption an adoption rate of of these technologies so it's um maybe not that surprising but I think it'll be very interesting to see where these companies go and what they do and how that then translates and correlates into the future of the UK uh, fintech scene so yeah I think it's I think it's great yeah, absolutely. I guess it's, again, we say this quite a lot on the podcast, but it's certainly one to watch and to see where the sector go next. We've had this huge growth over the past few years, so it's going to be super interesting to see what happens over the next few years, for sure. Uh, Francis, why don't you go next to kick off our little uh, blockchain-ish 20 minutes or so? Yeah, thanks, Polly. So my article this week comes from Nansen and looks at its latest Minters report which examines new insights into the correlation between minting NFTs and market demand, as well as the connection between the minting of NFTs and the overall profitability for the people minting them. So the NFT hype train really started off, I'd say, during the pandemic. That's when people started to see that there were these digital images that sort of came with a few added perks on the side that would help you in real life, and they sort of exploded into this trend. Um, as the article puts it, from cartoon apes to celebrity portraits, sales of NFTs reached some $25 billion in, uh, $25 billion in 2021 as the crypto asset exploded in popularity. So while mainstream participants were primarily buying and selling digital works of art, 
Trends among minters provide the most accurate overview of the demand and profitability of NFTs. So in May 2021, minting peaked at 0.56 ETH, but has now dropped to between 0.07 and 0.1 ETH, which implies that the the, the demand is potentially not there as much as there is now become cheaper. And because more people are trying to get involved, there is more on the market and sort of the supply is starting to outweigh the demand. So that's really sort of got me thinking about NFTs as a whole, because there's been this ongoing debate that are they here to stay or are they a trend? Are they going to be something that lasts? Or as I said, are they just going to be something that sort of fades into into the abyss, essentially? Um, because the number of minters has increased, but ha this hasn't led to a positive market sentiment, uh, found Nassen. So what I wanted to really post to you guys is, is the hype finally dying down or has the market simply corrected itself? And this is what we're going to start seeing from NFTs now on, from now on. So I did a, an interview with Rob Cook, the co-founder of uh, Golf Junkies NFT. And in that conversation, I learned that there is a lot more to NFTs than just the image. That idea of the board ape being just a very expensive JPEG, for example, isn't the case anymore. So I really wanted to discuss with you guys, is this just a hype die down or is this a market correction or is this just a sign of things to come? Uh, Polly, what are your thoughts? I remember when, like, I guess NFTs started to first become like super popular and then people kept telling me, oh, they'll be dead by the summer. They'll, no one will care by the summer. Then the summer came and went and everyone said, oh, they'll be irrelevant by Christmas. No one will care. No one will care by Christmas. And then Christmas came and went and NFTs were still popular. And it's like, oh, yeah, but in a couple of months, they'll be dead. They'll be dead. They'll be dead. NFTs have never died. If anything, maybe the hype is like fluctuated. Maybe it's like died down a little bit. But NFTs are like still super popular. And everyone that keeps telling me, oh, yeah, they'll be dead. They'll be dead. They ain't died yet. They ain't died yet. So this, I think, is a very interesting situation, though. And one that does sort of make you kind of wonder, oh, maybe this is the death of NFTs. Maybe, maybe it's going to be now after all of that. I think it was interesting in the article um, that one of the stats was that one in three NFTs ends up as a dead collection with little to no trading activity. I thought that sentence was super interesting because I guess if you have so many NFTs being minted as there are, not everyone is going to want to buy every single one of them and i do feel there is an element here of people jumping on the bandwagon so like people have seen how much nfts have sold for how much money i guess there is to be made and i've gone oh i can do that and i've done it and kind of i guess have fallen flat in certain areas because not everyone can make the big money it with any situation you know and then I mean, this is completely exactly the same as like when youtube was a thing you know and everyone was like oh vlogging is so easy i could do that makes a YouTube and expects to earn the big bucks within like a week and it just doesn't happen because that's not the way the world works. I don't necessarily think, to sort of go back to your question, Francis, I don't necessarily think that this is going to be like the death of the market or however you put it. I do kind of think it's just, that's kind of the way things go, you know, that's how you have a competitive market. And that's true of anything, you know, someone thinks we're a really good idea, does that really good idea and start selling it and then other people go oh hey we should try that too and then so you get lots of different 
products and services being released that are of the same sort of theme by different companies. That's just kind of how markets seem to work. So I just think that maybe it's going to die down a little bit and people are going to actually start to consider an NFT for what it actually is. Like you're saying, Francis, there's more to an NFT than a JPEG. Maybe this is kind of what's going to lead to people going, hang on a minute, what am I actually buying? And there'll be a bit more consideration from the Minter side as well as to what they're actually offering, which will make a better NFT market because you're getting more value from what you're buying rather than just, oh, here's a funny picture of a gorilla. Maybe. That's just my opinion. Yeah, and I think there is this huge sense, and it's something that I was going to discuss for Tyler's article, but this sense of gambling almost. And I mean, it's been something that's been brought up many times when discussing cryptocurrencies and NFTs for people that don't really understand it, but they invest in it anyway, because they see in the news that so-and-so invested 10 quid and now that's turned into 10 grand. And I think there is this idea because as the report said, there's one in three NFTs ends up as a dead collection with little to no trading activity, but then one in three minted NFTs has a higher trading floor price than the minting cost. So it really almost seems like a flip of a coin. So yeah, Tyler, what are your thoughts? Well, I I really think that everybody has raised some really interesting points here. I think um, what was really prevalent from when I was writing the article was the fact that the the cost of manufacturing had gone down, which obviously enticed people into the market. But then these figures were then offset by the fact that it was saying, well, you could either be quite successful or completely fall flat on your face. I don't I don't see it as the death of NFTs, definitely not. I think quite far away from that. I think I think we we've been able to demonstrate uh like the very um the volatility of the market and how attitudes in the market can change and also the demand can change. So I think it I don't think it's it's over. I I think if there's one thing that we're going to see from this it's it I, I would like to believe it to be the birth of the next generation of NFTs, how how this is going to, I, I think almost brilliant ideas come out of the mundane, right? So I think that people are going to, well, consumers especially are going to start being like, oh, okay, so this is not working anymore. Well, how else can we change it? What else, how can we innovate this product? So I, I think maybe that might be the way forward. Uh, but I, I think I think it's good. I think it's good generally that the cost of it is going down, and I can see how that would equate to more people becoming minters. I mean, I think the figures were it had increased from five hundred mint, minters to one point two million. So you know, obviously, like there was interest there, but and this is to say that this interest won't all be successful. But that's one point two million people thinking about how to produce NFTs. I mean, out of that 1.2 million, you're going to have a handful who have really good ideas, who have really strong initiatives and are hopefully going to bring new things into the market. So, so yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's a really uh, really interesting turning point in the, the NFT market. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the in final interesting points of the article sort of correlates with what you've just said, Tyler. And it's this idea that there's been a gradual rise in retail and non-whale minters and that since 2022, the largest group in the market has been occupied by minters who have spent one to five ETH. And while when you think about that, if they were 0.5 or 0.1, that sort of gives you an idea that an average minter is probably getting 10 NFTs or so. 
10 to 10 to 50 and that idea that there is somebody i believe i can't remember exactly i think it might be snoop dog who has sort of 50 to like 200 or i can't remember i think it's a famous celebrity has a ridiculous amount of nfts and there's this idea that it's just a case of gambling again and seeing what what sticks and what doesn't so i think as you said, Tyler, the idea that it is becoming more accessible to your everyday person is good. But at the same time, I'm, I'm concerned that that might mean people who don't know much about it are seeing it as a, an easy investment when that potentially isn't the case. And that will lead to that one in three NFTs that fails. Maybe we've got to actually step back from the picture a little bit and consider, you know, I, I, I was at the... Um, I think it was Token 2049 event. And one of these NFT artists was talking about how meme culture and especially so- social media culture had, had exacerbated the breach of NFTs. Maybe it's, maybe it's not so much how they're, how they're being produced, but what they're portraying. I mean, the, <laughs> the interest of the internet works in weird and wonderful ways. I mean, we saw that NFT, the, the board ape, for example, like, you know, really skyrocket. Maybe it's, maybe we're not, we don't have to consider how they're made. Maybe we have to consider what they're representing and what they're showing, what the culture and attitude is behind that particular NFT. Um, I think, I think it's, a re- it's the beginning of really interesting dialogue. Definitely. I completely agree with you. I definitely think it's a case of uh, quality, not quantity, but I just think it it sort of says something about that because well, I, I agree with you that you are right in that it has to be what is being made, not how many are being made. But I think the reality of it is currently it is the, the latter because as the article points out, despite more NFTs being minted, the the market value of NFTs has sort of stayed the same. So yeah, I think it's definitely something that will be interesting to watch. I think we've sort of unanimously agreed that this isn't going to be the the death of nfts but it's just sort of like a a stagnation almost but yeah um tyler what is your article this week well this i'm so sorry guys i'm gonna have to refresh myself yeah okay thank you francis well yes this uh this article i'd like to discuss this week is new movements from a miami-based recurring revenues payments platform uh called pipe now, what Pipe have done is they've developed a new API, and it's called Mine Now, Pay Later. Uh, so in the, art- in the article, I was like, buy now, pay later, but for crypto mining. So essentially, what this service will do is it's not a, like a business-to-consumer API. It's like a business-to-business-to-consumer API. So Pipe is going to supply it, uh, like uh, the, the API for mining hardware companies, who are then going to then offer it to their consumers as like a payments term. What does it do essentially? Well, what it does is it replicates a buy now, pay later model, which we've discussed, you know, at full length throughout the uh, throughout our podcasts. Uh, it, it replicates a buy now, pay later model, but in the hardware that's needed to mine Bitcoin. Now, this is a really, really interesting concept because when you're mining Bitcoin, there are lots of advantages and disadvantages of that. And I think 
when I was writing this article, when I was thinking about this article, I thought, well, one of the advantages is it's going to keep the system afloat and it's definitely going to keep the system running, you know. And then one of the one of the negative uh, attributes of it is it has a it has a detrimental effect on the environment. Now, when we look at current mining capabilities, it roughly costs about ten thousand dollars a piece to for a crypto miner. So having this sort of payments term available is is really going to sort of push more people into the market. Well, I hope anyway. But also when we look at the downside of it, you know, there's there's a huge amount of energy that's required to drive these machines. If they're made, if their price is being made more accessible to more people, then we're going to have more Bitcoin being produced through a larger intake of energy. I mean, I was doing a little bit of research just before this podcast and uh, the crypto and crypto mining industry as a whole each year is producing seven megatons of CO2. The average power plant only produces three. And this is the this is the equivalent of the entire energy con- consumption of Argentina. So there is a lot of energy going into this. Is it what the industry needs i'm slightly on the fence about it i think yes possibly like i think it has its benefits for for keeping the system afloat but i think it will also have a very nasty and very very tangible effect on the environment and on other things if it's left unregulated so now i'm going to pass the board over to you guys Francis, do you think that financially accessible buy now pay later mining machines is good for the industry? For the industry, maybe. For the environment, probably not. But all in all, I don't think I'm in favor of this because I think, as I mentioned earlier, Bitcoin and sort of Bitcoin mining and just cryptocurrency in general, for people that don't really understand it, they really see it as sort of gambling and it's not so much as an investment. It's just uh, a get quick, uh, get rich quick scheme. And as we all know, those are too good to be true and never sort of really turn out. And I think what maybe some people here would be thinking about is that in investing in a miner, that the miner is then going to pay for itself with what they do. But I mean, the volatility of cryptocurrencies really isn't a reliable way to sort of make sure you're getting money back on that. And the fact that it does cost 10,000 a piece to, to have one at the minute. And then, I mean, one Bitcoin obviously is worth around 30 to 40,000 at the minute, depending on the market and if it's doing well or not. But regardless of that, I just, I, I can't help but think it's like a it's too similar to gambling. And this there's an idea that back in uh, October, the SEC uh, in America announced the uh, Bitcoin's futures ETF, which essentially meant that people would buy a Bitcoin and agree a price for it uh, at at an earlier date. And then when the the time came, they'd sell it for that price, and it'd be a case of oh, have I made profit or have I lost money? And so it was really sort of like this estimating how much trying to predict the future type of thing. And I really get the same sense here. And just for that reason, I feel like I'm on Dragon's Den right now, but for that reason, I'm out. But I just, I don't really, I don't know. I don't really, I don't like it that much. And I think that it is sort of just 
trying to get too many people involved in something that they might not necessarily understand. Yeah, I really think you're bang on the money there, Francis. I mean, you know, like in a in a perfect situation, you'd be like, oh, okay, well, I'll just buy three machines and with this buy now, pay later scheme, make one Bitcoin, sell one Bitcoin and then pay for the machines. The machines are paid for and then I'm just making Bitcoin, you know, retire early. But as you as you've, you know, demonstrated in what you've just said, it doesn't work like that. And I really I think it's gambling with the environment, most of all. And I'm not behind this. Sorry, Pipe. I'm out. Polly, what's your thoughts? In or out? I love how, Tyler, you just completely stole Francis's Dragon's Den uh, joke. Oh, but... Stole? <laughs> continued stole. it, I should say. Continued it. Continued, um, I yeah. agree <laughs> with everything that Francis said and agree with everything, Tyler, that you were just saying then. I think it is not great uh, for many reasons. Um, I guess, like you, like you guys were saying, for the industry, like, sure, this is a really good idea. It means that it's more accessible and we love things that make finance is more accessible it's one of the things that I personally harp on about like yes let's make things more accessible to the masses but I think I just think this is is not it's not the one um it's a really interesting offering and you can see where they're coming from because I mean you know a lot of people are interested interested in bitcoin and I imagine a lot of people want to have a go at mining but I wonder if it's it's this idea that bitcoin mining is you know free bitcoin and I guess it is to a certain extent, because obviously you're not paying for it. You don't have to exchange it. You do technically get it. It is your reward for doing your um, very complicated mathematical computations or whatever. Like you get Bitcoin at the end of it. But I, I've, like you guys have been saying, it is just a get rich quick scheme, I think, for some people. And I worry of the situations people might put themselves in regardless of whether or not they actually mine any bitcoin and they get any bitcoin out of it at the end and they get any value back out of it at the end and yeah the environment thing that's also just really not great i think after elon musk's uh big sort of bitcoin situation was it last year or the year before i can't remember now um when he obviously tesla was going to accept bitcoin and then they decided not to because of environmental concerns i think that helped to shine the light on some of the issues with the environment and bitcoin and I think there is some awareness now that, oh, actually, you know, cryptocurrency is actually kind of super bad for the environment. But I just imagine if everyone had uh, a mining machine and everyone was mining. Obviously, that's like very unlikely to happen. But gosh, think of the think of the costs that it would cost for starters, you know, obviously in the UK specifically with the cost of living going up and the amount of energy going up like that's going to be a big energy bill and i guess as well yeah with the environment just it's it's just i don't like it i'm also out i'm i'm not in i'm not in i'm also out i just personally i don't get it i mean i guess the thing is with mining that it is very difficult i know you personally don't have to do anything but it's very painstaking it's very costly and you only get rewarded every now and again it's not like you push a button and 10 minutes later you get a bitcoin popping out like there's a lot that happens and it's the market's too volatile. The actual mining itself is just too much. I just, I, I don't like it. I'm not into it. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, we, we've really sort of outlined 
why this is uh, not not all that it says to be. But I think what I would like to point out, um, if we step away from Bitcoin, is how we've we've seen an evolution of a buy now pay later model and the the extended sort of applicability of of this sort of pay tech model, which I think is really exciting. And I think also what else is it going to to be you know funding in the future we saw this week that more people were turning away from from credit cards and traditional bank lending options to to fund buy now pay later now that opens a whole other can of worms like you know are you going to go into debt is it ethical who what 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 are you paying back how much does it cost you know but i think just in general it's really interesting to see this paytech model translate into the world of crypto and i think that's that's really exciting amazing well thank you guys for that riveting fintech discussion as per usual uh, but that does move us swiftly on to our segment i guess for want of a better word to call it which is what i learned this week so being at the fintech times on the editorial team so much news information insights all the rest of it about fintech crosses our desks all the time and we find you know we learn something brand new every day uh, so we thought it'd be really fun to share with our listeners so francis what did you learn this week so what I learned this week really keeps in with what Tyler and I have been discussing, and that is cryptocurrencies. And similar to what I was discussing last week about the best country to go to to spend crypto, the best country to get a job uh, with cryptocurrencies is the USA. This might not come as a shock for many people, but out of the top 10 cities that you can get a, an earning with cryptocurrency and have a job in crypto, eight of the top 10 are based in the US with only the London in the UK and Singapore being the only two uh, cities outside of the US in that I believe that you can make a, a strong earning with cryptocurrency. That does surprise me, actually. I don't know why it does. I don't know where I'd expect that to be. But anyway, uh, Tyler, what did you learn this week? Uh, I learned this week from the from the very many interviews that I did. Uh, there seems to be an overall consensus that embedded finance will be really, really big this year and next year, and it will bridge the gap. It it will it will lift the gates of paytech beyond fintech, and that it will it will really help to to fix paytech problems that are happening in other industries, like for example charity. Somebody gave me an uh, an example of like Facebook Marketplace, how it's embedded finance. So yeah. Uh, I spoke to a lot of people, a lot of people spoke to me about that. And yeah, embedded finance is going to be big. Awesome. Thank you, Tyler. And then what I learned this week was that the use of mobile wallets is projected to encompass half of all transactions by 2024. Um, And this was a new insight from Merchant Machine. And I guess that surprised me because I figured mobile wallets were being used more than that now, never mind in two years time. Uh, So I thought that was just quite a a surprising little statistic. Um, But anyway, thank you so much, guys, for joining me once again. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk about fintech with you. It's been great, guys. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Absolutely. Hopefully my mic is back and working. But you know what? I did really like our Dragon's Den. I think we we can make a career out of like the fintech Dragon's Den. Yeah, and maybe we call it like, I don't know, Dolphin's Den because of the fin or something like that. But we'll we'll workshop that for sure <laughs> patent pending you heard it here first. yeah yeah see you next week guys Catch see you next week one. bye 
Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.